Welcome back, listeners, to Fresh Lens. And today we are talking about the current events in Iran. Welcome to the Fresh Lens podcast, where we read books and discuss ideas that change the way we see the world. I'm Trish Vino. And I'm Hirad Motamid. And we are your hosts. There's a couple of themes that I want to touch on. One is I, I posted something about this, like everyone else on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And there is this, this person who's an acquaintance, a friend of a friend, leaning very progressive in politics, I can tell, from America, who commented on it. And she sent me a little DM of solidarity. And we were talking about the fact that the regime said this person had a heart attack. This 22-year-old girl had a heart attack while yeah. in custody. And, uh, and then they couldn't find the keys to the ambulance. Is that one of the things they said too? I don't Why they know. couldn't get her to the hospital is because oh. they couldn't find like, or the whatever van would have transported her there. Right. They couldn't right. find the keys for 20 minutes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. So in this, so mocking this explanation, I said something to the effect of, yeah, people seem to develop all kinds of conditions while in the custody of the, <laughs> of the Islamic Republic. And her response was, Yes, in the U.S. too. Oh, boy. <laughs> to which I did not respond. But I can see, so she was trying to be supportive. So I'm like, okay, I didn't, I just like left that, left that alone. But that's so funny. She was just being supportive and said like, yeah, this is like the same thing in the U.S. In, but children in cages, right? We didn't well, go into detail. No, I know, but I, I feel like that's probably the type of thing that she would be alluding to. Yeah, or, or I, I imagine like something like George Floyd or or like, you know, these victims of police brutality that, that have surfaced in the last few years. And on the one hand, it's like, what is, this is like a typical American inability to see anything outside of the frame of American problems, right? Mm-hmm. It's It's a... I, I actually think like this is like people criticize Americans for this, and I think this is a sometimes a legit criticism, which is like there, there's this American narcissism, which is like it's all about us, one way or another. <laughs> They're just so self-absorbed, and that leads to like a charming sort of like pride in a place that sometimes I really like, and like a ir- like a self-confidence that's almost irrational. Right. But yeah, the flip side is also that. Uh, I, I told this story to a friend and, and he was like, she just all lives mattered you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I get it. This is the other thing that it got me thinking about is it's actually, aside from that, you know, uniquely American tendency, it's very hard to explain a country like Iran and its uh, political and social structure to someone who is not from there, Right. And one of the things that got me thinking about is there's nothing that fully captures it in a way that you can understand, right? There's like individual slices that people may be able to understand, like you not being able to, your vote's not counting, right? I'm sure lots of Americans think that applies to them as well. But yeah, your your vote's not counting or, or you're not having political freedom. There's all kinds of little slices that you can like talk about and it'll capture one little thing. But it's really the totality of the perversion that is this regime that is very hard to capture. And I want to preface this by saying that, you know, I my experience with it is I was only living there until I was 12. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. Right. It's But I think there's something about like just being able to understand the language to know what 
state television says. No, but totally I mean, you would also data. like, I mean, sure, you moved when you were 12, but like your parents and you would like yeah, be so able to get things and you have things. family and yeah. stuff. So I feel like that they would also be sort of like a window into what life was like there. Yeah. And so one of the things that got me reflecting on is like, what, why is, do, like, to what extent do I actually understand what it's like? And to a, to a great extent, I, I'm sure I don't, because there's a lot of things that as you grow up, you have to deal with. But here are a couple of things that I do remember. I clearly remember the first day of going to grade one and my mom sitting me down to tell me the kinds of things that I should not tell my teachers and the kinds of things mm. I should not tell other people. So what she was worried about was my family would have these gatherings where they would they would drink alcohol, they would play cards. I don't know if they actually would gamble with real money or it was yeah. just tokens, but I, th- I think they might have like done small amount just while like the Normal family's like yeah. socializing events. Yeah, and both of those things are illegal. And this is what I mean by the totality of of this regime. It's like when they say it's a totalitarian regime, it really means it impacts every area of life. It impacts the music you listen to. It impacts the what you can eat, what you can drink, sometimes when you can eat and drink, in the case of the, the month where everyone's supposed to be fasting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like the government is ever present in your life, right? At every turn. And to some extent, you do kind of get used to it. And it's just in the background. It's like part of the things you do every day, right? Yeah. You deal with this. But it also makes it just very hard to describe. And I can only imagine what it must be like in places that I know are far worse, right? Like, I actually think China is probably, there's a silver, I, I can see a silver lining to the Chinese Communist Party because they have developed their country. Like, at least you can say that some millions of people have been lifted out of poverty in China, even though many of them remain there over, you know, post Mao period, right? With like North Korea and Iran, I think there's not anything that you can say that that's a silver lining, right? It's all bad. And and what happens with like countries like this is they attract the wrong types of people to government, right? So I the the way that I thought one can explain this is imagine someone whose character and behavior makes Donald Trump look like the patron saint of human virtues, right? And then imagine an entire government apparatus filled with people like that. Like yeah. if you if you hear the kinds of things that they would say on state television mm-hmm. in on various occasions, it's just beyond the pale of anything that has ever been uttered in in western public life. Um and yeah, I think that's like these so these like things like the current protest they happen based on a single trigger. But it's never about that one thing. Just like when millions of people don't come out on the street because like one bad thing happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, this is obviously just speculation. I, maybe it's just part of getting old. I feel like I have a cynicism about the protests that even though I really hope that they're successful and I hope meaningful change comes from it. Maybe it was that nothing really seemed to come out of the Arab Spring too much. That mm-hmm. I sort of feel like even if you do manage to get rid of, well, who's the guy in there now? Well, it's, I would say just the entirety of the Islamic Republic consists. Yeah, okay. Like, let's yeah. say you like overthrow, yeah, the Islamic Republic. I, I don't know. I just do feel like there they could really translate to meaningful change. Like, I hope it does, but it just maybe I, I'm too cynical. Maybe I just kind of feel like this region. Hasn't it's had hopeless. any good no good news in my lifetime. Yeah, I think I don't know. Obviously, nobody can know. But so there's a book that maybe one day we should cover on the podcast <laughs> called "The Dictator's Handbook," and they 
basically very, very systematically try to analyze power. And one of the things I liked about it, they stopped this distinction between like, oh, this is a democracy, this is a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. They said the actual metric that matters is how, how large is the base that the ruler needs to appease in order to continue ruling, right? And when in Western countries that are quote-unquote democratic, it's not actually everybody. Like, if you think about, like, Justin Trudeau doesn't have to please me and you specifically in order to continue to rule, right? So it goes through these layers, and it's mostly about blocks. Like, what blocks can he get on his side in order to rule? And the point that the book made was where they call that the selectorate is like the the population the minimum viable population that needs to be appeased in order for the ruler to continue to rule Mm -hmm. what happens in a a place like canada or in the u.s that selectorate is quite large you have a large base that you need to please in different ways so you gotta your political policies need to cater to them you know funding needs to go to them and stuff like that in order for you to stay in power in dictatorships, that number is much, much, much smaller. And one of the things that it comes down to is your tax base. If your tax base is broad and you're getting money from all kinds of places, then you you have a vested interest in like keeping that system going, right? But what happens in countries that are resource rich is they don't, and they end up usually not developing much other industry and they rely on the resource. And in the case of the Middle East, it's been oil and gas. And the reason why all these dictatorships keep popping up is because all they need to do, there's a single resource. Once they control that, they can keep paying their security forces and the very small selector that keeps them in power. So thinking about it through that lens makes me think maybe nothing will change. Like it's, if you, if you, in some ways, if you squint, like all that change between the last revolution that we had was like you got rid of a king with a with a crown and you got a king with a turban. <laughs> and, and and to be fair, king with a crown was way better. I was going to say, I was like, it doesn't seem like that's the only thing that changed. In, in a lot of ways, the structure. Yeah. But I mean, like it's, it was it's one the, dictatorship to a different one another. dictatorship to another. Right, okay. And I think ultimately, yeah, I mean, that's that, that could be an oversimplification no, to I say know. it's the only thing that's changed. But but yeah, so what will change? I'm not sure. But I, I was on the one hand, like, I also don't think there is much further to fall. <laughs> like the we like it's a country where, you know, even if it was just a regime that would be supported by some Western government mm-hmm. or or even a chinese government for that for that matter i'm not sure yeah. if it matters but um something that would open up the economy to the rest of the world i think that would make a huge difference in the quality of life right and then there's this other like you know you want if one can really dream and right now there is no organized opposition to to the islamic republic so all mm-hmm. these people are angry they come out of, to the street they know they want to get rid of what exists but i as far as i know there is really no one inside the country with the viability of doing something new. Yeah. But maybe that's okay. Maybe it would be a patriotic renaissance or national renaissance if collectively people can achieve something great together. But I mean, I'm that's one can dream. I think realistically, the, if this regime would, was to fall, which I think given how frequently these things are happening, its days are really numbered. But if it was to fall, I think there might be turbulence yeah. ahead. Yeah, because it seems like it's not just the young 
people who are frustrated. It feels like everybody's sort of had enough is the the impression that I'm getting from some of the news coverage. Yeah, that's also been my impression. And again, I want to caveat this with like, I'm because I haven't lived there. I've only like got a lot Mm. of the involvement, like secondhand and from far away and, you know, in, in a much more detached way. But I do remember, I think I was still living there. And there was one of the the first like major protest against the Islamic Republic, I mm-hmm. think ever, was in 98 or 99. I think it was in 99. And it was mostly university students. Mm-hmm. And then and then 10 years later, there was another big one in, in 2009. And I remember that I was keeping up. That was right around the time that the Arab Spring protests were happening. This was, they called it the Green Movement in Iran. But what's happened like over time as these like different large scale anti-government protests have t- have happened is it's moved from being mostly focused on university students and young people to being a nationwide thing even to the point where i feel like even more conservative segments of the population but that are not so conservative that they're they're not tied into the government apparatus right even they are kind of fed up with the mm-hmm. with the system right so yeah that's kind mm-hmm. of <laughs> where it's at One thing that I thought, this isn't an original take. I just want to preface this. I read this in like a National Post article or whatever, but it seemed to be, I think, like a really good point and worth bearing in mind is that some of Canada's language that we've used about uh, like residential schools and our treatment of Indigenous people and everything. And I I guess like you really got to preface this, right? Because like I'm not trying to defend anything about any of it, but like the use of the word genocide, right? And especially with like a lot of like the ground penetrating radar with like these grave sites and stuff. Like all of this is horrible. And I don't know exactly like how much I I need to emphasize this. But the problem is, is that like, Canada's labeled it a genocide. It's been like, you know, I guess like we then by extension are like a genocidal nature nation. And then you get these guys like Iran being like, ha ha, like, And they kind of just like, well, you guys aren't any better than us by your own admission. And so, like, I don't know exactly what to do with this. Because on one hand, like, you really don't want to poo-poo, like, the complete decimation of a culture that, you know, Canada did. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say it was at least, like, cultural genocide. You know, a lot of people did die in these schools and everything. But it still feels like you have to be careful because... Like in China, it's legit actual genocide that's still happening now. Yeah, I and I get really frustrated. Yeah, I do too. I so uh, Iran and China both both of their state propaganda machines have had a field day with with this whole residential school thing. Yeah, and I don't know if you've heard about this, but no bodies were ever found. Well, you know, okay, I didn't know how was... much we wanted to like really get into the weeds of this. So they I... haven't, to be fair, they haven't dug anything up to look. When they say no bodies have been found, I don't think that they did any further investigation. So the the story seems to have been a hoax, or at least there's a strong case to be made that it was a hoax. Residential schools did happen. Also, there I would... Are... Before you say like it was a hoax, like I think is what happened is like there was an announcement... That a school that they're like might have been grave sites, but like it kind of I feel like spun out of control in the media. Yeah. Like I don't want I just wanted to like clarify that the word hoax didn't mean that like it was a hoax from the people who were like conducting the studies looking for sites. Maybe yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. but it the, wasn't necessarily I feel like it The blew- story the the story was not what was 
published. The actual, the actual, well, the facts were not what was what. If you ask a random person on the street, what, tell me about the residential school grave sites, yeah. they will tell you something that is not factual. Yes, exactly. Um, and that was you don't want to necessarily blame the people who were like on the ground with like the radar. Sure, sure. And and you know, residential schools did happen. Mm-hmm. They were terrible. And they were terrible. Whether or not, you know, it's. Just, they were terrible on their own, whether or not people were buried in unmarked, unmarked graves, yeah. right? But but over this story that was, you know, prematurely at least published, apparently Canada, and I need to look this up, but apparently Canada was taken to task at the United Nations. Secu- I, I, I don't remember what the arm of the United Nations it was, if it was the Security Council or some humanitarian or human rights arm, but it was taken to task by China Iran and Russia. Yes, right, exactly. And so, a little bit of perspective, people. Yeah. This is the thing where you know someone who is American comes to me and says, "Like, oh, in the U.S. too." Yeah, there is no comparison here. No, you know, we're talking about the only country in the world that has individual rights enshrined in its constitutions, yes. even if it doesn't live up to them. And like, right? exactly, and like, sure, like obviously, there's still work to be done in America. Like things aren't perfect, but like, yes, you have to keep it in perspective, or else it's just going to be this like race to the like this finger pointing nonsense. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so I just feel like when you see these protests and stuff, and some woman. Like this poor woman, it wasn't even that she like didn't have her hijab on. They just said she wasn't wearing it right. It wasn't good right. enough. Exactly. And she ends up dead. So we need to like just stop saying that like we're not any better than these places. Like we are and we need to like And that doesn't mean that there is no issues. Like there, no. there I'm sure there are there are psychopaths you know in in all kinds of American government apparatus apparatuses, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But the this is the, and this is what I mean where like the totality is very difficult to understand. So I'll give you this thing. So you you remember those uh, old Coca Cola bottles, the iconic glass bottles? Mm-hmm. You know, they are recognizable around the world, right? Yep. To a lot of Iranians, they're recognizable as two things: one as you know the Coca Cola bottle that you drink Coca Cola out of; mm-hmm. two as a torture device. Everybody recognizes them as a commonly used torture device. I don't even want to know. You don't want to know. So this is what I mean. Like the the. So are you like a strictly Pepsi man now? <laughs> <laughs> I only drink beer. If it doesn't have alcohol in it. I'm not drinking. Exactly. <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> but it's, I actually like back in when I was in high school. I remember there was a. Iranian political activist that was seeking refuge in Canada. He was hiding in a church where immigration officials would not enter. Mm -hmm. And me and a couple of high school friends went and met with him. And he described in detail some of the treatment that he had gotten. And yeah, this this, uh, Coca-Cola bottles featured prominently. Well, it's like it's still in the books that they can stone people to death. They can stone people to death. There are public executions. I'm my parents own a multi-volume collection of every issue of a national newspaper that was published in the year post 1979 revolution. And you can just flip the pages after a certain date. You can just keep flipping the pages and there will be page after page in every issue of dead bodies, pictures of dead bodies proudly being, you know, published everywhere that these were the former regime officials, right? Yeah. So 
and 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 the kinds of things like just in the videos that have come out in in recent days the number of atrocities being committed by the police like okay let's say the George Floyd incident happened in the US and all the riots happened yeah right and the police went and met the rioters right how many people died in those riots at the hands of the police subsequent to the killing of George Floyd as far as i know none mm-hmm. right there will be thousands of people dead in yeah. iran by the time this is done this is like they they are when when they shut down the internet is to prevent pictures of their atrocities coming out yeah. right it's it's a night and day difference and and the people that are in power there are very comfortable with this mm-hmm. and that's the difference yeah so it's not Yeah, I guess like the point I want to make, sometimes I often listen to these when I'm editing it afterwards and I was like, ah, I really didn't phrase that well. It's not to sit back and be self-congratulatory of like being in a better place. I think it's just to like make sure that the things that we don't like about America and Canada and obviously have to work on, it's like you just still need to like frame it realistically. Yes. And stuff and stop like, and this is, I think it's like all kind of just stemmed out of this like woke anti-racism bullshit where you just have to feel like so guilty for everything and you feel like unless you're like not constantly in a complete state of like self-flagellation, you're a bad person. This was one of my first no pun intended, wake-up moments, but to kind of realize something is really off with Western progressives is, you know, they, they love to talk about, like, gender equality and women's rights and whatnot, but when it comes to women in the Middle East, they have always been silent because they're afraid of offending Muslims, Yeah. right? So where are your priorities, right? If, if, if you completely lose your moral compass to this sense of I need to be tolerant of everybody and their grandma, yeah. right? You have you have no morals, right? You have no direction, and you're only uh, catering to the most offended at any given point, right? Yeah. And and we know who they are. Yeah. So I hope that I hope that there's a revolution. I hope that these protesters get their way. I'm not terribly optimistic that it will. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I'm not, I'm also not optimistic, but you know, I think sometimes some very some small things can have big effects. And it's important either way. Yeah, I think I mean eventually every government falls yeah. <laughs> eventually, yeah. right? It's a, it's a matter of time. I'm actually far more optimistic now that this is going to happen within my lifetime. I I used to be pretty pessimistic about that prospect, but but we'll see. And hopefully when it does fall, something better can replace it. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls down. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Listeners, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. We always appreciate your support. Please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. If you use Twitter, follow us there at FreshLensPod. Finally, we always love to hear your feedback. Our email address is hello at freshlenspodcast.com. <laughs>